Well, good morning. morning. Happy Easter to everyone. Um, Now, it is Easter Sunday, but do you also know what other day it is? It's April Fool's Day. Yes. April 1st. This has not happened, Easter falling on April 1st, since 1956. It will not happen again until 2029, which means you parents have a unique opportunity. Today, you can pull off some of the most epic Easter egg stunts that you possibly could imagine. I mean, and I'm not just saying, you know, like glue the plastic eggs together so they can't get them open. That's like too easy. No, there's actually all kinds of ideas on different things. So parents, I'm going to give you a little heads up. You can still pull some of these off today. Here's, a, here's one of them. Wrap grapes into those Easter egg wrappings. Catch them totally by surprise. Uh, here's another one. Cut the bottom out of the bag. See how long it takes for them to figure out. These are not staying in there. Um, Here's another one. You can fill the plastic eggs with vegetables. Or this one, which is just way too mean. Brussels sprout pops. That's just cruel. And then this is my favorite. Take a hollowed out. Easter bunny, fill it with mustard. And just watch what happens when they bite into it. So this is your opportunity. You're going to get this once in a lifetime, so go for it, all that you can. Now you could say, you could say that actually Jesus pulled off the greatest, most epic Easter, um, April Fool stunt of all time. Because what better way could you say to death, sin, and hell, April Fool, (laughs) you lose. (laughs) Now, there's a lot of people over the years that have tried to explain away the resurrection, that it was just, um, some have said it it was an elaborate hoax that was put together by his followers to kind of continue on his teachings. But if you think about that, you got to ask yourself, to what end? Because it's not like they gained anything monetarily from perpetuating this myth. In fact, actually, it cost most of them their lives. They were hunted down, they were arrested, beaten, and many of them were put to death. So, those early followers insisted on this resurrection that it was not a hoax. In fact, they staked their lives on it. They said, this is the real deal. It's not just about what Jesus taught, but you know, he taught some great things, and that's all wonderful, but, but none of that really carries much weight without the resurrection. In fact, in fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church these words. He said, this is why we celebrate the resurrection. This is why this day, this is why the resurrection is so important. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, which is his first letter. Actually, it's probably his second letter. We don't have the first one, but most of our Bible is made up of letters by the Apostle Paul to churches all throughout the Mediterranean. There was a city in Corinth, and this is what he wrote to them. Uh, If you want to follow along, it's in your Bibles. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says this, what I received and I passed on to you is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared 
to me. Now, he wrote this letter within 20 years of the actual event. And so he's saying, listen, I saw him for myself, but if you don't believe me, he says, here's all these other people. You can go and talk to them. Most of them are still alive. This is not like, you know, something that happened hundreds of years ago that we're just kind of trying to perpetuate. He said, there are still people alive that you can interview. You can go to the tomb. You can go to the tomb to this day, and it is empty. And that is the thing about Easter. Nobody expected this. They all expected Jesus to stay dead. The one thing, even his closest followers, nobody expected when they went to the tomb that there would be no body. But he says it's empty. And you can ask these people, they're firsthand witnesses to it. He goes on, verse 14. Because if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God. For we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if you did not raise him... in But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all others. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What Paul is saying is it all hinges on the resurrection. Everything without the resurrection, it's game over. That, that none of this other stuff matters much at all because it all comes down to the resurrection. And they believed that and they, and they hung to it even though it meant in, impending death for them. Because they said, this is the thing that changes everything. Easter, the resurrection, is, makes, is what makes everything else real. And they believed that 2,000 years ago. And for the last 2,000 years, people have continued to put their faith and trust, not just in Jesus' teachings, but in the fact that he raised from the dead. Because as Paul said, if he's not raised from the dead, then none of the rest of this makes any sense at all. And so it's all about the resurrection. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why we celebrate it to this day. And so today, what I want to talk about is a little bit of why Easter matters. What, what is the difference? What, why is it so, so important? Why does everything hinge on it? And there's a couple of things that Paul talks about here that, that tells us why it's so important. Because of Easter, he says, first of all, because of Easter, we have freedom from our guilt. Without the resurrection, we don't see you don't understand Christianity, you don't understand the resurrection, you don't understand any of this thing unless you understand something about brokenness. That we live in a broken world. And you don't have to look too far to see that. Every day in the newspapers and, and on TV, we're told over and over again, and we are reminded over and over again how broken this world is. And we all share in that brokenness. We all experience brokenness, we all do our share of breaking. Of others. And that's why he says, What I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. This is why it's so important that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He says, There is this sin problem that every one of us have. And without the resurrection, we are stuck there. We are stuck in that brokenness. And there is no hope for us. And we all share in that. Every one of us. Now, 
we have this sin problem, but we try to kind of minimize it or, or rationalize it or, or try to excuse it in all kinds of different ways. We all know that, that we're not perfect. In fact, we say that all the time. Nobody's perfect. And we all want to believe I'm just a little bit closer to perfection than you. And we're all kind of hoping that God grades on a curve. And as long as I'm at the top of the class, I'm, I'm still good. And that, that God makes certain allowances and there's certain exceptions for those of us who are not quite as bad as the others. Kind of like the FDA. Do you know that the Federal Drug Administration, um, they actually have a whole handbook of guidelines about how much, decamin- decontam- excuse me, how much contamination there is in certain food products? You know, there's actually a book that allows for a certain amount. For instance, canned mushrooms. Canned mushrooms, according to the FDA, the, the canned mushrooms can include more than 20 maggots of any size per 100 grams. Yeah, just makes you want to go out and eat some mushrooms. Brussels sprouts, here they are again. Another reason, another reason why you should not have to eat Brussels sprouts. They can include 30 or more tiny insects called aphids per 100 grams of this vegetable. That's allowed. You're eating them. Well, I'm not, but you are. Peanut butter. Who doesn't love peanut butter? Crunchy? Crunchy? Creamy? Yeah? Which? Okay. Here's the deal with peanut butter. An average of 30 or more insect fragments or one or more rodent hairs per 100 grams. Yeah. Tomato sauce. Yeah. Tomato sauce can include 30 or more fly eggs per 100 grams. Or you can have 15 or more fly eggs and one, uh, one or more maggots. Or two or more maggots if you really want them. Chocolate. What could be wrong with chocolate? According to the FDA guidelines, chocolate can, can contain up to an average of 60 or more insect fragments or one or more rodent hairs per 100 grams. There you go, you chocolate lovers. Cornmeal. In 100 grams of cornmeal, which is roughly the amount of, you know, making, uh, to make a cornbread uh, recipe, okay? The FDA says it's okay to have two or more whole insects, 100 or more insect fragments, and either four rodent hairs or two or more chunks of rodent poop. Yeah. There you go. Now, here's the thing. See, we're all comparing ourselves with one another. So I'll say, well, yeah, I might be tomato paste, but I'm not that cornbread over there. Hey, go talk to that cornbread. He's got a sin problem. See, we all have it. And without the resurrection, we are stuck in it. And that's why he goes on. He says, for if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. There's nothing you can undo. And it's not the quantity or even the quality, if you will, of the sin. It is the mere fact that we all share in this. And we cannot undo it. And we can't go back and make up for it. And we are stuck in our sin without the resurrection. And religion itself will not solve the problem. We need God's grace. 
We need what he did for us on the cross. And the resurrection is the proof that he overcame death, sin, and hell. He goes on. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. That's religion. See, I'm stuck in my sin. And the sting of that is, 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 is the sin is the sting of death. And, and the problem is that the law or any kind of religion cannot undo the sin. But thanks be to God, he says, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because with the resurrection, we now have that freedom from our guilt. He goes on. He says, because of Easter, we can also experience life as God intended it to be. See, if you think, of it, if you think it's just about forgiveness, then you've missed the full point. Because it's not just about the forgiveness, if that were not enough. But it's actually about life itself. See, the whole idea behind resurrection is after the resurrection, there is a life. (laughs) And after Christ's death and resurrection, there is now a life for you and me. And that's what makes the difference. It's a whole brand new way of living. He puts it this way. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In other words, without the resurrection, what's the point? And he goes on. If the dead are not raised, then let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, life is meaningless. Life really has no purpose to it. It has, there's no point to the whole thing. You've been given however many years, so just kind of make the best of it as you can and get the most out of it as you can because it all comes to an end anyway. The resurrection says, no, there's a better life. And that better life starts here and now. See, that's what's so remarkable about the resurrection stories is how it changed lives Over and over again, you find this. This is what Paul wrote. He said, these are the people whose lives were changed. He appeared to Peter. Now, if you don't know anything about Peter, Peter um, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And he was kind of really the closest one and the most devout and the most, you know, when everybody else scattered, when Jesus was arrested, Peter kind of stayed behind and kind of wanted to see what would happen. But as he stayed behind, as he's sitting around the fire while the trial's going on right down the hall, he's sitting around the fire keeping warm. A servant girl comes up to him and accuses him of being one of Jesus' followers. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter denies it completely. A total failure. Good intentions maybe, but a total failure in terms of wholehearted follower of Jesus. And yet... After the resurrection, this guy who was afraid of a servant girl and admitting that he was a follower of Jesus stands up and preaches about the death and resurrection of Jesus to thousands of people in Jerusalem not more than a few weeks later. His life was transformed. And then to the 12, the 12 were those, those 12 followers, those 12 disciples Jesus picked who cowered in fear and yet they went out and spread this message of Jesus' resurrection all around the Mediterranean. He said it appeared more than 500 of brothers and sisters at the same time. He says, this is not fake news. He says, this is the real thing. And there are eyewitnesses that you can go and talk to. He goes on. He says, he appeared to James. Now, James was Jesus' brother. Now, I don't know what it would take to convince you that your brother was the son of God. Think about that. And yet James becomes a leader in the Ephesian church. Transformed his lives. Then he appeared to all of the apostles and then, and then appeared to me, me, Paul. Paul, who had spent... 
the first part of his life and ministry trying to eradicate Christianity, to arrest Christians and put them on trial and put them to death. He did everything he can to stop the wave of Christianity. And the resurrection, resurrected Christ so changed his life that he became the largest church planter and probably the biggest voice in Christianity, maybe outside of Jesus. Changed his life. You see, that's the deal. It's not just about forgiveness of my past. It's about a better way of living today. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, following Jesus just makes life better. Not perfect, but better. And it makes you better at life. Because that's what Jesus came to bring. Starting here, starting now. We have something around here um, called Rooted. It's a discipleship process. It's a 10-week commitment that people make to go through a, a process in which they begin to develop uh, habits and, and, and spiritual disciplines into their life. And it's kind of a, the thing to help build these rhythms into your life. And there's a, there's a daily devotional part to it. There's a weekly gathering in small groups to it. Um, and, and for 10 weeks, um, it's kind of an intensive on how to, how, to, how to make this new life become a part of your own life. And we end it with a big celebration. We have a big dinner. We had it just actually a couple of weeks ago, um, the last graduating class. And, and what we do is we have people share their cardboard stories, okay? Your cardboard testimony, your cardboard story. And it's simply this. On one side, before Christ or before going through Rooted, before Christ really got a hold of my life, this is what my life represented. And then... Since I've followed him, since I've gone through Rooted, since Christ has changed my life, this is the difference. And um, we filmed a number of them and uh, did it a couple weeks ago. And, and actually, we're going to be starting up in a couple of weeks again. So I just wanted you to see some of these cardboard testimonies and hear from people um, whose lives have been changed because of the resurrection. Rooted came, I think, at a perfect time for me. Spent the last you know, 16 plus years really trying to grow my life and to become that type of Christian person that I know God wants me to be. Before Rooted, I would say um, I was oppositional in that I was closed off. And I think the one main thing that I would say is that I didn't thank God for anything. I thanked myself for my own hard work. I learned that the way I was living before is really not the right way to live, not the best way to live, and not a very satisfying way to live. Being a part of Rooted um, gave me an opportunity to meet and connect with people um, that are in similar situations as me, where we're looking for um, for God to really come in and start changing our lives. I kind of thought it was something for you know baby Christians, um, but I, I really got a lot out of it. I realized a lot of uh, my own kind of legalistic way of thinking about things um, and learned what Northgate really means when they say it's people in process and a grace-filled community. It is a safe place where you can open up and you can talk about the things that you are feeling, that the things that you think, the questions that you might have. I knew like all the words like grace and love and what surrender, what it meant in the dictionary and everything. But those were just still words to me. Like it, it didn't have, it didn't resemble anything to me in my soul. After rooted, like just hearing the word grace and love, and especially surrender, it became like part of who I am as a person. There's something I feel for everyone throughout this 
study. I mean, it just goes through the basics of who God is, what He has for us, how He can use us, but in such an amazing way. Everyone went around and shared their story, and it was amazing to hear what people had gone through and how God can bring you through such crazy, sometimes horrible, sometimes beautiful things where you wonder how people could get through it without God. The relationships that you can build, the people that you meet, the stories that you hear, and the lessons that you can learn through other people um, are invaluable. It has led me to a real understanding. I think my word I would use to describe it is renewed. I really feel this renewed sense of passion for seeking God's word. The small group getting together um, and connecting with each other, that's when breakthrough happens. That's when walls come down. You literally have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Uh, I would be utterly shocked if somebody said that they wish they didn't do it. It changed my life. You know, if you're a person that feels, you know, like you are carrying something around, you're going to carry it around for the rest of your life, Rooted is the group for you. Rooted is a place to be. It's two hours of your week where you can go somewhere and feel extremely welcomed and extremely comfortable. It can be transformative if you allow it to be. I really feel now like I have a place in this faith community and I'm so pumped to see what God's gonna do with me, but with all of these other people who I've grown close to. We believe in life transformation around here. That what Christ came to do was not just to forgive the past, but to give us a better life. And, and, and because of the resurrection, it means that everything else that Jesus said is true. If he can deliver on that one, he can deliver on anything. And rooted itself is not the power. The power is the resurrection of Jesus Christ at work resurrecting our lives. Rooted is just one way that we have found it's very helpful in, in helping people understand all that life that God has for them. Because of the resurrection, we have a better way of life. And there's a third part to it. He goes on. He says, because of Easter, we have a assurance about our future. See, the message all through Scripture is that we were made for something more. That we were created for a relationship with God that starts here and now but carries into eternity. That, that, that you and I were created for that very purpose. And, and if you've ever watched the news or, or seen something or, or, or witnessed an injustice or, or anything that you looked at and you said, that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. If you have ever thought that or voiced that in any way, you know why that is? Is because there was something deep within you that cries for rightness. There is something deep within you that cries for justice. There is something deep within you that cries for things to be made right. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Making things right. 
The, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes in the Bible talks about that God has planted eternity into the human heart. And that, that desire for things being made right, that's, that's a desire for eternity. And one of the great promises of the resurrection is that my life has just begun here. It will continue on. And that my life now has a purpose because it is moving towards a future that is eternal. Jesus' resurrection holds the promise of our own. Paul put it this way. If Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be of all people most to be pitied. Now, two things. It talks about those who have died. And this is what you find all throughout the New Testament. When, when in the New Testament writings, every time they write about people who have died, believers who have already died, they always talk about it in terms of falling asleep. Why? Because people who are asleep, what? Wake up. Yeah. And, and so they see the end of this life. It began all the way back then until this day. For those of us who are in Christ and we have found this resurrection power at work, we know that there is more to us than this life. And this life is just about falling asleep because there's a bigger, better, more real life beyond. Now, it's not just about beyond. It starts here and now. But he says, by comparison, it's just falling asleep. Because we'll wake up again. And he goes on. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pity. Why? Because we have put our hope in something that never will be. And the resurrection says there is something more. My life is moving toward a future that is eternal. And what I do in this life has eternal implications. And so does yours. That's what the resurrection holds for us. And that's why he goes on. But Christ has truly been raised from the dead. The first one and proof that those who sleep in death, there it is again, will also be raised. In Adam, all of us die. In the same way, in Christ, all of us will be made alive again. That something brand new has begun. And it will not end. That my life is moving forward to a purpose. And it will continue to move with purpose on into eternity. We talked about this last week. What that means is that I can live this life with hope no matter what circumstances I might go through. That I can love boldly and and, and extravagantly because I know that love is the language of the life to come. And when I pour out love on other people, when I care for and tend to and am compassionate towards other people, I am building into the kingdom of God. That I can give generously, that I can serve joyfully because what I do in this life has eternal implications. And that is available to each and every one of us because of the resurrection. Now, sometimes people say things like, well, isn't like, that kind of just very narrow and, and, and you know, that, that's just like too limiting. I mean, that just sounds too exclusive. How come it always has to be through Christ? Because Christ is the one who gave his life for our sin. He was the one that resurrected and overcame death, sin, and hell. And he is the one who holds that promise of eternity out for us. And it sounds narrow and exclusive, but if you think about it, it is, it is the only way it could be done. Because if it depended on us trying to fix up our life, trying to undo our past, none of us would ever make it. And if it was only about those who were in the top half of that curve, then half of us wouldn't make it. But because of Christ and because of his resurrection, 
It is available to everyone. Andy Stanley, again, puts it this way. Christ's death and resurrection signal to the world that the kingdom of God is not reserved for good people. It is, not reser- it is reserved for forgiven people. Good forgiven people. Pretty good forgiven people. Not so good forgiven people. It's for forgiven people. And the resurrection tells us it's real. Would you bow your heads with me? At its simplest, what we believe here at Northgate, and Pastor Larry had talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but this is what it comes down to. The resurrection tells us that there is nothing so lost about your life that God cannot find it. There is nothing so broken in your life that God cannot mend it. And there is nothing so dead in your life that God cannot resurrect it. And that life is available to us every single day. And maybe you're here today and you're feeling the brokenness and the weight of that brokenness and that sin. Maybe today you feel like you've been wandering and you are lost. God has come to find you. Or maybe, maybe today you're coming to the realization that I am dead in my sin and there is no hope for me in myself. But today, today you can take a first step of faith. And just simply say, God, I give up. I surrender. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I am putting my life in your hands. If you have never done that before today, I can't think of a better way to start this new life and a better day to do it on than Easter Sunday. And if today you are there and God has been speaking to your heart and and maybe it has nothing to do with what I've been talking about, but God has just been prompting at you and just saying, this is what you need. This is what you're looking for. Today, you need to respond. I'm going to ask you to do something real simple. Just raise your hand, look up and catch my eye. and Just say, today, I'm taking that first step of faith. Just raise your hand, hold it up, catch my eye. Yeah. Yeah. Now, maybe you're here today. And you, make that step, you made that step a while ago. But there's something in your life that's going on right now that feels a bit broken, feels a bit lost, feels a bit dead. Today, the resurrection of Jesus says, it can be made alive, it can be mended, it can be healed. You're not lost. And if there's something in your life where you're struggling and you just need that resurrection power at work in you today, Again, I'd love to pray with you as we close. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand? Hold it up. Look up. Catch my eye so I can acknowledge and pray with you. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for not just the promise that you give us of a forgiven forgiven life, a new life, a resurrected life, but that you delivered on that promise in yourself. And in that, we have absolute confidence that you can do it in us. And for those who raised a hand today, just saying there's something in my life that's broken, something that needs healing, something that needs finding, something that needs resurrection power. And especially for those who raise hands saying, this is the first step of faith for me. Just in this moment, what we're all doing is we're saying, God, I can't fix this on my own. 
cannot do this on my own. I need you. Thank you that you came for me. Today I put my life in your hands and I am trusting you to bring about that resurrection power in me. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.